I'm Marty Moscow, and welcome to The Connection. A new Monmouth poll found that a third of Americans and 60 percent of Republicans believe that Joe Biden only won the 2020 presidential election because of voter fraud. Donald Trump has been peddling that lie, that conspiracy theory, for years, even before he lost to Biden. Now, yesterday, Trump was arraigned in federal court for conspiring to stay in office and pleaded not guilty to four felony charges for a attempting to overturn the 2020 election. Trump has made a career of promoting debunked conspiracy theories, including most notably birtherism, that Barack Obama was not born in America. Now, there's nothing new about conspiracy theories. They've been around for nearly as long as we human beings have been on Earth. They've even helped us survive as a species by identifying real threats. But why do so many people believe in QAnon, that there's a Satan-worshipping child sex trafficking ring run by Hillary Clinton, that JFK Jr., who died in 1999, will make a return appearance at Dealey Plaza in Dallas, that the Sandy Hook school massacre was a hoax, that the COVID-19 vaccine contained computer chips allowing for government surveillance. Our guest, Michael Shermer, has been tracking conspiracy theories for years and says that anxiety and loss of control feed the belief that there's a secret group of powerful people who are conspiring to do bad things. He's written many books on the subject, including Why People Believe Weird Things, The Believing Brain, and his latest, Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational. And Michael Shermer is publisher of Skeptic Magazine and joins us today on The Connection. Nice to have you with us on the show. Nice to see you, or hear you. Hear you. <laughs> nice to be back. Seeing and hearing, yes, all our senses here. You have been writing about conspiracies for decades, uh, your whole professional life, really. But what was it about the insurrection and one particular rioter, Kevin Seafried, in particular that became the genesis for this particular book? Well, in general, I'm interested in why people believe uh, not just weird things, but anything. And conspiracy theories, in a way, are just theories. They're just ideas about what people think is going on, like what's the cause of X, whatever X is. So somebody who says, oh, I think it was the CIA or the NSA or the FBI or the Cubans or the mafia or the Russians or whatever – they're just proffering a, a a causal explanation for something. You know, who killed Kennedy? Well, I think it was this person or that organization or whatever. So they can be treated like any theory or hypothesis or or belief that somebody holds. Is it true? Is it not true? Is it, you know, probably true or probably false? Or you know, we just can't determine. So I I, I think of it that way. And hmm. you know, all of us are scrambling to understand the chaotic world. And so conspiracy theories, in a way are a theory to wrap our minds around a complex, chaotic, often random world that our brains are not well designed to understand. And so conspiracy theories cut through all the complexity and provide a kind of neat, clean explanation that is satisfying. It's global. It it kind of cuts through all the the chaos of the world, and, and, and therefore it feels like we have some understanding and grasp of what's going on. 
It feels like the truth. And I do want to get to all of that. And I do not want to spend too much time talking about Donald Trump and the insurrection. But, you know, this is a rather timely show to talk about conspiracy theories. Obviously, most people in this country do not believe in voter fraud. But there are, as I mentioned in my introduction, about a third of Americans who do. And we know that Donald Trump has just been peddling this lie relentlessly. He's kind of based his his whole raison d'etre on people believing this lie. How do you see him using conspiracy theories? Well, his um, his conspiracy theory that the 2020 election was stolen from him resonates with his followers who don't trust the federal government already um, and don't trust coastal elites and the educated and, and so forth. And so whether it's true or not is kind of beside the point, because how would anyone check to see if the election was stolen. I mean, who would you even call in Georgia or Arizona to find out, you know, what that video really means of a truck pulling up into the back of the building where the boats were being counted and this grainy video shows somebody bringing in a box. I can't quite tell what that is. Um, so most people can't fact check those sorts of things. And and so the, the conspiracy theory becomes kind of a proxy or a stand in for something else. Like, you know, the boss says it was stolen. I don't trust those people anyway, and I have no way of checking. So it it, it rings true to what I, I believe already. A little bit like the Edgar Welch story of the, the guy who went to the pizzeria in Washington, D.C., the Comet Ping Pong pizzeria, believing that there was a, um, a child sex ring being run by Hillary Clinton and Democrats there. And he actually went, that's what you would do if you really believed it and no one was mm-hmm. doing anything about this crime. He went there with his gun to break up this crime and was quite surprised, discovered there's no pedophile ring at this pizzeria. And he went to jail for a few years and recanted later. But um, most people who tick the box for pollsters that say, you know, do you think QAnon is real or the deep state or Pizzagate or whatever, when they say yes, they, they don't really believe it hmm. literally. It's the kind of thing Democrats would do. You know, we don't like those libtards. And, you know, I don't know if somebody's actually running a pedophile ring, but I know those people are bad. So I'm going to tell posters, yeah, I believe believe the conspiracy theory. Something like that is a as a stand in for for something else that they believe that's deeper to their identity. Do facts work or evidence or cameras in a courtroom or, you know, testimony in Congress. Does any of that work to to get people to sort of rethink what it is that they believe in? And I, I put all those things out there because obviously these are all um, efforts to show that voter fraud did not happen. Usually it works for most people um, if the evidence is presented in a way that's non-threatening to somebody's identity. You know, like if if I tell you that the 2020 election wasn't stolen, uh, I I don't I don't need you to like Joe Biden or become a Democrat. I just want to present it in a way that Republicans care about the truth as much as Democrats. Don't you care about the truth? Yes, of course. Well, and then you can start in. Well, you know, Attorney General Bill Barr himself, who is a lifelong Republican, was appointed by Trump, voted for Trump looked into it with the resources of the Department of Justice and found no evidence for a rigged election. Therefore, isn't it reasonable to believe that he has no motive to lie and therefore is telling the mm-hmm. truth and the truth matters? Something like that, if you approach it uh, in, in a way that's non-threatening, um, that that helps a lot of people. Now, I'm mostly talking about those who are not, you know, radically. The persuadables, um, I guess. 
yeah, the persuaded, the undecided voters, let's say about the about about the conspiracy theory. Uh, most people can um, change their minds, but again, if you tell them, like you know, I used to debate uh, creationists about the theory of evolution, but if you tell a Christian creationist that they have to give up their religion to believe in the theory of evolution, they're not going to do it mm-hmm. because that's central to them. So you have to take that off the table. You know, like climate change, um, you know, it, it became bundled with the Democrats with Al Gore's film and Inconvenient Truth. And so when conservatives hear climate change, their brains autocorrect to, you know, anti-capitalism, anti-American business. And, and 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 it's a it's a liberal thing. And I'm not a liberal, so I can't believe it. You know, so you have to take that off the table to, to convince people to accept the facts. Well, let me pick up on that and let's talk about climate change. So if it's not Al Gore, uh, Al Gore peddling and I'm you know speaking as a as a conspiracy theorist peddling some lie about climate change, but there are you know relentless floods in your neighborhood or the temperature as it has been in Las Vegas is up over a hundred degrees for one month. Is that the kind of evidence that someone would say, oh gosh, maybe climate change is real after all? Yeah, the problem with that is that th- those are weather events, and weather is different than climate. The weather is a you know more short-term, day-to-day, week-to-week thing. Climate change is based on long-term trends, centuries and mm-hmm. millennia, and and therefore it, you have to take a couple more steps to go from the event that just happened, it flooded, or it's the hottest June in history or whatever, to uh, a causal connection to long-term global warming effects. It can be done, and climate scientists do this, uh, but it, it's not it's not always helpful to just take a single event and say, well, that's obviously uh, global warming, because sometimes it isn't, mm-hmm. and therefore people that are on the fence may uh, then become doubtful of the whole process. Something you write, and I have a feeling you're you're referencing it now, you say that people will often double down on their beliefs when facts fail to support their conspiracy theory. So the idea that... Um, yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, I'm <laughs> quoting you, Michael Shermer, but go ahead. Yeah, so well, that that that's right. It's uh, this is called cognitive dissonance. So, you know, you believe X, and the facts come in to say that X is not true. Uh, what do you do? You either uh, change your your belief, or you spin doctor the facts. And mm-hmm. if it's an important belief that again is central to your identity, it's your religion, it's your politics, it's your ideology, something core to, to your being, the facts are probably going to get. Uh, spin doctored away rather than just changing your mind and say, well, I guess I was wrong about that. Most people uh, can change their minds if it's not super important uh, issue. Like if, if you don't really care about gun control or immigration, you don't really follow the debates. And, you know, it's easy to say, yeah, okay, so that study showed that gun control measures work or don't work or whatever. You know, people can do that. It, it, it's, it's, but if you've made a public stand if you've told everybody you know this is what you believe and then someone says well what about this you're going to have a hard time evaluating that so you just double down on it right so there's lots of studies on this like on gun control measures or immigration or or whatever you know democrats given a policy paper to read just a short summary of it that supports their uh, their position. They, they they evaluate it very positively. If if you tell them that the exact same paper is written by a, a Republican, then they'll they'll reject it or find more reasons to be critical of it. So people can think critically when they need to. <laughs> so you have to motivate them to do so. That it, it, again, mm-hmm. it's not a threat to some central 
part of your belief. And I do want to get to that as well. Is there something, though, unique about conspiracy theories today? And and as I mentioned in my introduction, and as you have written, I mean, conspiracy theories have been around for for millennia, probably. But um, is there something unique about today's conspiracy theories? And we have about a minute before our first break. Mainly the the speed with which they spread uh, because of the internet and social media. Conspiracy theories have, have always been around, but like my example is the JFK conspiracy theorists. You know, they they had little mimeographed uh, newsletters and self published books, and they could only reach a few dozen to a few hundred people. Now you can reach millions instantly, and that's the difference. Uh, it's not that there's more conspiracy theories or they're more polarizing or whatever. It's just the speed with which they can spread around to the public. And and with speed, meaning that there's less evidence that it sort of has a has a life of its own. Yeah, there is some evidence that shows that just the repeating of the of the of the line or the conspiracy theory or the belief or whatever, just repeating it uh, enough times, people just inculcate it into their brains as well. It might be true. I've heard it so many times. <laughs> so that also gets uh, accelerated on the on the internet. Well, let's take that short break and then we'll get back to our conversation talking with Michael Shermer today on The Connection. And as I mentioned, he has for many, many years, in fact, made a career out of uh, uh, researching and writing about conspiracy theories. And he's got a relatively new book called Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational. And we've got much more to talk about after this very short break. We'll be right back in 60 seconds. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. I'm Marty Moscoane, and you're listening to The Connection here on WHYY in Philadelphia. We are awash in conspiracy theories from chemtrails to UFOs to COVID, and that generally happens in times of crisis and disinformation, like now. Today on The Connection, we're talking with Michael Shermer. He is publisher of Skeptic Magazine, and we're discussing his latest book called Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational. Michael, you say there, there are essentially three types of conspiracies, proxy, tribal, and constructive. What is proxy? The proxy conspiracy theory is one that stands in for something else, again, like the uh, Pizzagate uh, conspiracy theory. Whether it's true or not is beside the point. It's what it stands for. It's a proxy for something else um, that, you know, that the Democrats can't be trusted or, you know, we don't like those people or something like that. Um, and, And therefore, you believe it, whether it's true or not is kind of beside the point. The tribal conspiracy theories are those that are tribe, usually politics, but could be religious conspiracy theories as well, or just ideological in general. That that That's the kind of thing we believe happened. So uh, again, most people don't know how to fact check claims like this. How would you even do it? Who would you call or whatever? So if the tribe believes it, you just sort of go along with it. Uh, even if you don't understand it. So, for example, most most liberals, let's say, since we've been picking on conservatives and, and Trumpers, 
um, you know, say that they accept climate science and global warming as human cause. Do they really know the science? I mean, most people don't. I don't. I mean, I publish a science magazine and people send me technical articles to read saying, oh, global warming is not real. And here's why I read this paper. Well, I don't really understand climate. I'm a social scientist. What do I know about meteorology and, and all that stuff? So um, I have to depend on experts on this and, and, and trust that the experts, you know, have some consensus, mm -hmm. reason for their consensus and so on. So I kind, I, I'm kind of acknowledging my tribe can be trusted uh, in the same way that uh, even people that accept the theory of evolution, studies on this showing that if you ask them to explain it, they can't. They don't really understand the theory. Or, you know, I accept NAFTRA. This was a, a study done. Uh, well, what is NAFTRA? Well, I don't know. It's that North American free trade something or other. I don't even know who's in it. You know, they just accept it or they don't because their tribe accepts it or, or they don't. And then constructive conspiracism are, are, cons are conspiracy theories that uh, may or may not be true. But if they are true, there's it, it pays to believe them in hmm. them just in case. So here I have a deeper evolutionary argument that, you know, we are a social primate species in which we are more likely to trust our group and distrust other groups. Uh, and, and therefore, there's kind of a coalitional um, motivation to distrust other people just in case. Uh, and and so um, it, and the, the bottom line here is that enough conspiracy theories turn out to be true. There really are conspiracies that it pays to believe more of them are true than probably are. So if you just think, uh, you know, this Watergate or the assassination of Abraham Lincoln or Iran-Contra uh, and so on, these uh, or Volkswagen cheating the emission standards, you sure. know, cor corporations, Tuskegee. Uh, Cap Tuskegee or, or, you know, big pharma capturing the regulatory state to tell us that opioids are not addictive or big tobacco telling us that cigarettes don't cause cancer. These are conspiracies. They, they, they did lie. They intentionally deceived people in order to make a profit in that case. And so, you know, uh, people hear enough of these stories and they think, well, why should I trust the government? And so you tell me the government's lying about X. I think, well, maybe there is something to that because they lied about other things. But, you know, can you have a democracy where no one trusts anybody, where expertise is, you know, always uh, devalued and, and challenged and questioned? I mean, I, you know, you're, you're publisher of Skeptic Magazine, and I, I believe we should all have some degree of skepticism. But if you can't trust anything, can you have a functioning democracy? No, we have to have trust because, again, none of us can check everything. We depend on okay. uh, our experts, our uh, our legal system, the court system, the police, you know, politicians, you, you know, we all know that that a little bit of skepticism is healthy. But if no one trusts anybody, then it, the system won't work. I mean, just take money. It's fiat money. It's not based on gold or anything like that. We we depend on my bank keeping the money in there, even though I know they don't actually have my money right. in the bank. It's just digit binary digits on a screen. We're all moving around. But that depends on my trusting them. If And again, a bank run, you know, it's just a breakdown in trust. Everybody thinks, well, I'm going to get my money out before they run out. And that's what happens. The whole political system would collapse if there wasn't trust. And that's what we're worried about. Everybody's right. worried about 2024 and the election. What if, you know, so-and-so wins and the other side says we don't accept it? Then what? <laughs> I mean, that's what happened in 2020. Fortunately, we, we escaped that, dodged that bullet there. But... You know, that, that, that's a good sign of what happens when people really believe a conspiracy theory. That is, the election was rigged, 
And therefore, and when the boss says, go down there and get your country back, and people believe that, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, conspiracy theories can lead to violence. Indeed. Uh, let me ask you all, and this sort of goes back to our, our early beginnings as human beings, as you, as you mentioned, um, to have, to see, to be fearful is to be human, and to see danger is also to be human. But there, there's also something about the human brain that wants to see patterns, and making patterns, and seeing patterns, and then connecting patterns is a way that we try to understand the world. How does that plug into conspiracy theories? Well, conspiracy theories are patterns. Right. You're, you're connecting the dots between things that may or may not be real. So I call this patternicity, the tendency to find meaningful patterns in both meaningful and meaningless noise. And the fact is, I'll get, just give you my thought experiment. Sure. Uh, that imagine you're a hominid on the plains of Africa three million years ago and you hear a rustle in the grass. Is it a dangerous predator or is it just the wind? So this is a signal detection problem. If you think the, the rustle in the grass is a dangerous predator and it turns out it's just the wind that's a type one error false positive uh you thought it was a threat and, and it wasn't but that's that's relatively harmless but if you think the rustle in the grass is just the wind and it turns out it's a dangerous predator that's the kind of error uh, that'll get you uh, a darwin award that is taken out of the gene pool before reproducing and so my argument is that we're the descendants of those who are m- most sensitive to finding patterns just in case even though a lot of them are wrong uh, enough patterns turn out to be correct. Sometimes the rustle in the grass really is a dangerous predator, so it pays to be super skeptical, paranoid, cautious, conspiratorial, just in case. You know, and, and, and in our evolutionary history, other groups, groups of other of, of people that live on the other side of the hill or the river or wherever, really were potentially dangerous. It really did pay to not just walk up and shake somebody's hand and you know, the whole idea of like a potlatch where you throw a big party for the other group and give them a lot of stuff, that that's a way of establishing trust because we all know we're not going to trust each other until mm-hmm. there's some verification and some, uh, you know, exchange between us to establish trust. So we are naturally constructively conspiratorial or, or a little bit paranoid, and, and that's a good thing. And again, just back to the modern world. You know, the, the CIA, the FBI, you know, we depend on their these intelligence agencies. But historically, they've really done a lot of pretty questionable, illegal, immoral things. We know this, you know, just the 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 spying on Martin Luther King Jr. and other civil rights groups in the 60s and 70s. The FBI did that. They wiretapped their phones. They tape recorded Martin Luther King Jr.'s sex in his hotel rooms that they had bugged and then blackmailed him. Are you kidding me? The hmm. FBI did this, and this was signed off by by Robert F. Kennedy himself uh, when Hoover pushed him to do that. Astonishing. Our intelligence agencies did. So when people hear this, they go, huh, well, all right, why should I believe what they're doing now is all on the up and up? So it's not irrational. Well, and, and I'll just add to that. The CIA did uh, MK Ultra, the, the mind control experiments where people were unwitting victims of, of these experiments. Um, and that wasn't so long ago. Unbe- unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Dosing U.S. citizens without their consent or knowledge with yeah. psychedelic drugs. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so again, when you hear things like, well, the CIA might be, might be behind this or that, it, it's not completely crazy to think that because they have done stuff like that. Now, that doesn't mean it's true that your pet conspiracy theory is true, but it, it means it may not be totally irrational to think it could be true. 
Let me just quickly reintroduce you when you're listening to The Connection here on WHYY in Philadelphia. I'm Marty Moss Cohen talking with Michael Shermer, and he's written a number of books about conspiracy theories. His most recent one is titled, very simply, Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational, and he is a publisher of Skeptic Magazine. You say something really interesting, and I, I think it explains a lot uh, having to do with conspiracy theories, that in many ways it's just more entertaining to believe, you know, that reptilian aliens are in power here in the United States rather than a bunch of boring octogenarians, you know, who sit in the U.S. <laughs> Senate, that, that it's just more fun <laughs> to believe some of this stuff. It is entertaining. I mean, it's like watching X-Files. You know, I love that show, even though I'm pretty skeptical of most of the stuff they were presenting. Uh, but it's entertaining that, you know, there there is a secret cabal of people pulling the strings behind the scenes. You know, who, why does the economy do what it does? I mean, no, people really don't know. That's why you have economists that are left wing and economists that are right wing. How can that be? I mean, isn't it just a science? No. It's a complex system that's really difficult to understand and predict, you know, and that and randomness and chance plays a huge role in the outcome of, of life personally and politically and socially and so on. And, you know, it's just it's it's more interesting, entertaining, more comforting to think th that there's just this cabal of people that are pulling this. The deep state, yeah. they're actually in control. And when you find out no one's in control, it's like, oh. Well, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> you know, and it's uh, that, that that's a huge motivator behind conspiracy theories. Because we live in a random world. We're not in control of all events, maybe in, in you know, some small aspect of our, our very small lives. Let me ask you, though, about um, anti-Semitism. You were talking about secret cabals. And, there, you know, there are these enduring uh, conspiracy theories, really hateful conspiracy theories about, you know, a, a cabal of Jews that are running the world or running Hollywood or killing babies and, and drinking their blood. Help us understand why anti-Semitism so often is at the root of a lot of these really pernicious conspiracy theories. Mm. Yeah, there you have kind of a negative feedback system at work where Jews were discriminated against centuries ago. So they had to migrate into professions where they were allowed to participate. In this case, they were middlemen in financial exchanges. And so they migrated into financial um, businesses like banking and, and things like that. And so then people look around and go, oh, look, they're, 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 the Jews are clustering in this industry, so there, there must be some cabal behind that. Well, they, they did that because they weren't allowed to, to go into other professions. I mean, they were legally banned, you know, and it's, it's hard, to <laughs> hard to realize this, but as late as like the 1950s, a lot of American universities had restrictions on how many Jews were allowed to attend their colleges. It's astonishing in America. <laughs> and so, you know, we shouldn't be surprised when we hear these things still happening, even today, and, and still Jews are targeted. Um, and, of course, any any group that appears to be more successful than some other group, you know, we're very tribal this way. And we, we group people into, you know, cohorts like that by race or, or gender or religion or, or whatever. 
it's just a natural human inclination to do that. And it's easy to find differences between them, just average group differences, as if the world should be perfectly equal in everything. Hmm. And of course, that's never going to happen just by chance alone. And so uh, that, and then you want to know, well, what's behind the difference? Oh, it's, you know, they're behind closed doors, pulling the strings or doing things like that. So that's how it, it, it's driven. And there's enough history with anti-Semitism that it seems to bubble up uh, quite frequently. If there's areas where there's no Jews, it's, it's usually some other mi mi minority group that seems to be more successful than other groups and so they get targeted in the same way and there's that tribal thing again help us understand is there a psychological profile of someone who is more likely to believe um, especially um, unbelievable conspiracy theories well yep yeah, there are lots of studies on this that um, uh, that let's say people that are of one particular political tribe or race or or whatever are more likely to think that somebody in the other tribe is doing something to them uh, you know there are individual differences in how open to new ideas or open to conspiracy theories some people are you know more gullible or more accepting of just any ideas and other people are a little more skeptical or or tough-minded about new ideas like that that makes a difference education makes a little bit of a difference hmm. um you know high school grads versus say post uh post-college grads um are uh, more education means you're less likely to believe conspiracy theories but not by that much you know college grads and and postdoc you know and post grads um, sorry, graduate schools uh, uh, are, are also likely to believe a lot of conspiracies, just not quite as much. There's no race differences or gender differences other than who you think is behind the conspiracy. So African-Americans are more likely to think the CIA planted crack cocaine in inner cities or or uh, that AIDS was designed to eradicate um, black communities and so on. Uh, whites are more likely to think the federal government's conspiring to take away their guns, Second Amendment people and all that or uh, constructing FEMA camps in Texas to lock up people that own guns, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it, it just depends on the particular conspiracy theory. There's also something called the proportionality bias that the bigger the event you want to understand or explain, the bigger the conspiracy theory is going to be. So, you know, the assassination of JFK, you know, the leader of the free world is Killed by who? Lee Harvey Oswald? Some lone nut? Just some? Just a nobody? That just doesn't feel right. It, you know, it's like the, the Holocaust. You know, the one of the worst genocides in human history was conducted by, the Nazi regime, one of the worst political regimes in human history. There, there's a balance there, but if you take 9/11, are you telling me 19 guys with box cutters, you know, took down these planes and the World Trade Center building? Yeah, that's what we're saying. Oh, that just doesn't feel right. Or Princess Diana, cause of death. Drunk driving, speeding, no seatbelt. Well, that, you know, tens of thousands of people die on automobile uh, accidents of those causes every year. But princesses are not supposed to die that way. So had to be the MI5 or MI6 of the royal family or the Arabs or, you know, somebody had to knock her off. Or worse, she faked her death and she's still alive. That's one of my favorite papers in this uh, field is called Dead and Alive, where people that tick the box for Princess Diana was murdered are also more likely to tick the box that she faked her death and she's still alive somewhere. <laughs> you can't be both dead and alive. Well, you can, but it, it that also tracks into, and I believe these are QAnon followers, that um, believing that JFK Jr., um, yeah, JFK Jr. will somehow magically reappear in Dealey 
Plaza in Dallas, of course, where his father was assassinated. So it's interesting to even compare and contrast those two conspiracy theories. Yeah, and exactly. That was a pretty wild one. But RFK Jr. has been on the on the campaign trail, as you know, and he's been floating a lot of these conspiracy theories yeah. about Big Pharma and Anthony Fauci and the vaccines. But not just that, that the CIA assassinated his father and his uncle. And there's no, I've looked into this. I've read all these books and papers and I've watched all the documentaries about this. And there's just no evidence for this. You know, I push these people, including RFK Jr. himself, who name the person in the CIA that did this. You know, if you want to have a grand jury target somebody and put them on trial, you have to have a person. You can't just say the CIA did it, you know. Yeah, but but to 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 him and to a lot of his followers, you know, RFK, JFK, these were huge, MLK, these were huge figures. And the idea that just a nobody, just somebody, you know, kind of scrounging around in the intricacies of society, going around unnoticed, that's how it happened? Yeah. In fact, that's how it could happen. The idea that the CIA had you know, hundreds of operatives and you know all these uh, people involved and no one wants to come forward. There's no paper trail in the WikiLeaks, millions of classified documents. There's not one about JFK, RFK, MLK, or the fake moon landing, 9-11 is an inside job. Any of these, nothing. There's nothing in there. Uh, and you would expect that if there was a, a big cabal because people can't keep their mouth shut. It's hard to coordinate people hmm. to do a lot of things. So th this is my uh, conspiracy detection kit. You know, the more people that would have to be involved, the more elements that have to come together at just the right way, at the right time, and everybody keeps their mouth shut afterwards. No one ever leaks. And Michael you know, Shermer, that, hold on, hold on to that thought because okay. we will be right back. I'm Marty Moss Cohen, and you're listening to The Connection here on WHYY in Philadelphia. I'm talking with Michael Shermer about his new book called The Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational, and just quoting a couple of things from page 31, about a third of Americans believe that birth or conspiracy, that Obama is a foreigner, uh, about the same number believe that 9-11 was an inside job, about 10% think that uh, chemtrail conspiracy theory is true, 4% believe that shape-shifting reptiles are secretly running the world. 7% believe that the moon landings were fake, and I go, could go on from there. I wonder, too, Michael, about um, this sort of notion of, quote, I almost hate to say this, <laughs> fake news or alternative facts, that we, we live in this time where people talk in those terms with such ease that it's it's hard sometimes to even keep track of what the truth is when things can be couched as fake news or alternative facts. And that was Kerry, uh, Kellyanne <laughs> yeah. Conaway talking about the size of Trump's inaugural crowd, which, you know, we could all look at the photograph and we we could estimate, you know, how big that crowd was or not. Yeah. On that one, by the way, there was a study done showing subjects uh, in experiment, uh, pictures of Obama's inaugural crowd and Trump's inaugural crowd. And without labels, everybody got it right. Of course, you can see with your own eyes who has the bigger crowd. Mm -hmm. But if you labeled them and said who they actually were, the you know Republican subjects, self-identified Republican subjects, were more likely to say that the Trump crowd was bigger. In, a, in other words, they just didn't believe their own eyes in that case. There you have 
you know, politics overriding perception, clear and obvious perception. On the polls, by the way, since you um, rattled off a bunch of those stats and, sure. and I publish all those, and uh, we have to take some of that with a grain of salt because people tell posters when they tick the box, they may not actually believe it. It may just be kind of a clustering effect that, you know, because those who tick the box for one of those are more likely to tick the box for a bunch of them. So there seems to be kind of a, a global distrust of authorities of any kind. So there's been studies done, and I did this in my own study, where I just made up a conspiracy theory. Uh, I think oh, it was, was the, it? the, the was Dakota it? crash. Oh, the, the Dakota crash. Do you believe that you know the government's not telling us the full story about the Dakota crash? Well, what is that? I just made it up. <laughs> and people go, yeah, I think that I, I do believe that one. <laughs> Maybe the word and crash so, was a giveaway, I, right? Yeah, something, you know, something bad and nefarious is going on. And, and so I'm just going to believe all of it. You know, so, I mean, if you actually pinpointed somebody down, okay, now, what do you actually know about that particular one right there? It's like usually nothing, right? Again, back to the NAFTA example, you know, I, I don't like NAFTA. I accept NAFTA. What is it? I don't know. <laughs> There's even funny uh, cognitive studies on this. Like, can you, ex can you explain how a zipper works? Oh, of course I can. Okay, go ahead. And most people can't or draw a bicycle. Of course, I could draw a bicycle. Most people can't draw a bicycle. So there's a lot of kind of implicit knowledge we have about the world that we just walk around thinking we understand things when we really don't in general. And then conspiracy theories are even more like that. Again, the rigged election. You know, how would I know? Who would I call in Arizona to find out if the count was done properly? I don't know. <laughs> and so, but, I, but we know, had people testifying. So yeah, but you had people testifying about the results of the election, and there were. I mean, we do have ways of, of, of testing whether voting machines worked or not. I mean, it seems that there's, there's a, a lot of information exactly. about. I mean, yeah, there are probably a handful of people that maybe voted illegally or incorrectly, but. I mean, I think at this point we can say, yeah, that that the election of of twenty twenty, where are we? Twenty twenty, was was legit. Can't yeah, we? Usually that works. Um, historically, uh, whoever loses an election, there's even a, a line in conspiracy theory, uh, conspiracy scholarship that you know conspiracy theories are for losers, meaning that the loser of an election always thinks the other side cheated. But usually they, they drop the conspiracy theory within a few days or weeks, mm -hmm. particularly after there's an investigation, especially if it's somebody in their um, campaign or their uh, political party who says, yeah, we looked into it and there's nothing to it. So let's just concentrate on the next election. That's what always happens. The Trump one is different. This is very unusual where, you know, when Attorney General Bill Barr said, you know, I'm a Trump supporter, voted for Trump. And, and so I'm a lifelong Republican. I looked into it. There's nothing there that should have ended it it normally does but this was unusual so mm. we are on, we are on uncharted waters here but are you all i'm looking at the subtitle of your book but are you also saying that there is something rational about believing things that are not true yeah in a way the underlying belief that um, we should be cautious constructively conspiratorial there, there's a kind of rationality behind it even if the particular conspiracy theory it may not be true um there's reasons why people believe it that in their minds there's a kind of rationality to it think about cults i'm fond of saying no one in the history of the world has ever joined a cult you know they join a group that they think is going to be really good it's going to mm -hmm. be helpful we're going to save the world help the poor i'm going to get rich prove my business whatever and and so you know way down the line they end up drinking the kool-aid or whatever the the, the, the disaster that happens but 
you know, there's a rationality behind why they joined in the first place. And, and so to, to think that people are just ignorant, stupid, uneducated, irrational, that doesn't really give us an explanation for why so many people believe these conspiracy theories or mm. any kind of weird beliefs. Because usually there's some underlying rationality behind it, at least in their minds, they believe it. Well, let me ask you about Alex Jones and InfoWars and the lie, you know, that the Sandy Hook school massacre was a hoax, that families were using crisis actors. I mean, to me, this is just the most vile and sadistic lie. You've got grieving parents, you know, whose children's were, children were just, you know, blown up essentially in this, in this uh, elementary school. Um, and yet he had, you know, I'm not sure how big his following is today, but he, he had people believing this for a long time. Now, he was taken to court. He was ordered to pay a billion dollars for defamation. I don't know if he lost any followers or not. Um, and it was possible to watch that trial. But how do you fit that into into your theories? Well, there I think uh, he's just a liar. He just made it up. He's a con man. That's That's my opinion. I don't think he ever believed it. I mean, I've, I talked about cults. I think a lot of cult leaders actually believe their rhetoric. Hmm. I don't think Alex Jones. I think he, you know, in his in his divorce trial, he said he, he 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 said he's just a performance artist, and you know that's what his wife, his ex wife, said he was doing. So I think that's probably the case with him. As for the followers, do they really believe it? Well, you know, the people that went to those parents' homes, they probably actually believed it, much like Ed Edgar hmm. Welch who went to the pizzeria. I think they believed, I think most of the followers who say they think there's something to it, but they don't do anything about it. I think they probably don't really believe in a, in a, in a literal way. They just think, yeah, that Alex, he's onto something about distrusting authorities. And I don't trust authorities either. You know, the federal government, the intelligence agents, I don't trust those people. You know, I, I think they probably believe it on some level. You know, what, what motivates somebody to actually like leave their their home and drive to somebody else's home and scream at them from the yeah. sidewalk. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. You know, some, sometimes people are bored or they're agitated for some other reason. This gives as you mentioned, entertainment, maybe it gives them some sense of purpose in life. I mean, we know who all the people were at the uh, Capitol on January 6th. We know all of them now. And most of them, these were not tinfoil hat wearing wackadoodle people living in their parents' basement. I mean, these were like real people with jobs and careers and so on. And and a lot of them in interviews who now, you know, are embarrassed they did this, said, you know, this was like the most exciting thing I'd ever done. I mean, this was like my 1776 moment. I feel like I'm I'm Hamilton or Jefferson or Washington. I'm going to, you know, we're going to have a revolution. Oh, my God, this is so exciting. Because otherwise, their lives are just kind of normal lives. It was a boring mundane, go to work every day, raise the kids. And so that's like the rest of us. All right. So this, you know, really was something huge in their lives. And it was all a lie. So now they're you know, paying the price for that. Well, it's interesting. I mean, then then to have the realization that you're being lied to by somebody, that someone thinks so little of you that they're willing to lie to you, which also raises questions about when there are doomsday cults and, and the predictions about the end of the world, you know, don't happen to come true. How do believers, I guess, justify that that error of prediction? Yeah, that's the uh, the classic cognitive dissonance um, introduction of the concept uh, by Leon Fessinger when he went to the UFO doomsday cult and spent the evening with them. And when the world didn't end at midnight, December 21st, 1954, you know, what did the followers do? And they did not 
go home and go, well, that was a dumb idea. Can I have my car back? <laughs> no, they no. doubled down and, and did more recruiting to spin doctor again, the facts to, to fit their deeper core beliefs. And that, that, that body of research has held up really well over the past half century um, that uh, people really do have cognitive dissonance about their deep, deeply held beliefs. And they have a difficult time changing their mind about that. And um, that's unfortunate. I, you know, I am uh, concerned about, um, current events here, you know, mm -hmm. that all the indictments against yeah, Trump and his followers, not only they're not only skeptical of them or like, oh, my gosh, they're doubling down on it. Like, I'll get I'll send him even more money <laughs> in support. But he's using the money for his lawyers. I don't care. <laughs> you know, and, and he, he's pretty clever about this. You know, they're not indicting me. They're indicting you. Yeah, they're indicting me. I don't like it's just astonishing that people believe this. But that's the power of belief, I guess. Yeah, and that's the power of the these tribal the tribalism that you were talking about. You also talk about all the the biases that we humans have. You know, there's confirmation bias. You talk about something called my side bias. There hindsight bias, cognitive bias. All the ways that we, I guess, can justify our own behavior, our own beliefs, uh, through a system of biases. Yeah, the the larger. Um heuristic there is motivated reasoning. We're motivated to reason our way to supporting what we want to be true. So it's not that we're irrational. We're quite rational and quite capable of manipulating data and statistics and handling um, complex ideas, but it's usually in the service of something that we want to be true. So there's a debate in, in cognitive psychology about to what extent we evolved the capacity to reason, to understand the way the world really is versus to win arguments for our side. Hmm. And so there's, there's a good case to be made by uh, of the latter that, you know, we developed reason and rationality as a way of winning arguments of, you know, showing that we are right. And so I think it's both, you know, I think understanding the way the world actually is, does, it has benefits. Uh, but it's not that simple. It's, you know, it's also wrapped up in our, our beliefs um, and our tribes. How do we, and I'm looking at the clock here, how do we engage with, let's say, family or, or friends with, you know, deeply held cons uh, conspiracy theories that are not true? I mean, how do you, how do you have a conversation with someone uh, if that's the, the topic? It's difficult. You have to be careful, uh, particularly if it's family members that you spend time with or, or, you know, crazy Uncle Bob at the Thanksgiving dinner, you only see him once a year and he comes and you know, he sits down at the table and says, you know, the election was rigged or Pizzagate or the lizards are running the world or whatever it is that he, you know. Well, okay, so you can either just keep your mouth shut and just, just push, the mashed, push the mashed potatoes around on your plate and try to ignore him. Or if you want to engage, you have to do it in a particular way that's non-confrontational. Ask a lot of questions is what I do. And what I recommend just, well, oh, that's interesting. How, where'd you hear that? I haven't mm -hmm. heard that. Or, you know, what was your source for that? Or, you know, what, how, how good is the evidence for that? And, but probably the best thing you can ask is what would it take to change your mind or to alter your beliefs? What kind of facts would, would counter uh, that belief? It's easy to find facts to support it. We're all good at that, but what would it take to change your mind? And, um, you know, people ask me this because I'm about UFOs and UAPs, you know, because I'm skeptical about this, that these are aliens. And, and people ask, well, what would it take for you to convince you that the UAPs are actually aliens? Well, an actual spaceship. Hmm. <laughs> Show us the body. Show us the spacecraft. You know, not 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 just some blurry photograph of a, of a light in the sky, but something concrete. Uh, then I would change my mind. And so but a lot of people can't 
answer that question. They'll say something like, I don't know. I've never really thought about what it would take to change my mind. It's just what I believe. So if you ask questions, also be respectful, listen carefully, nod, look at them in the eye. You know, a lot of people in conversations are not listening. Uh, so we recommend doing something called steel manning. Instead of straw manning somebody's argument, which you repeat their argument in a way that you can refute it, but they don't actually believe it. Say it in a way that they they respond, yes, that is what I believe. So before you try to refute somebody's argument, just hmm. say, let me understand if this is what you believe. And then repeat in your own words what you think they're saying. And oftentimes when you do this, they go, no, no, that's not what I'm arguing. Here's what I'm arguing. And you go back and forth until you nail down exactly what's on the table to be discussed. You know, let me get this straight. Do you actually think that Hillary Clinton goes to a pizzeria and in the basement is sacrificing children and drinking their blood? Do you, do you really believe that? Now, often they go, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. But, you know, I don't like that Hillary Clinton. Something like that will come out. It's like, oh, OK. So we're not actually talking about child pedophilia here. We're talking about something else. That and, it... you know, you really, you really need to. Yeah, figure that out. We're almost out of time here, but you have a whole section about how to rebuild trust in the truth. And, uh, you know, we, we mentioned earlier about having a, a democracy, a functioning, diverse democracy and the importance of, of believing in the truth. How do we do that? Yeah, well, so we <laughs> so you got to participate in the political system, first of all, like with voting and, and so on and speak up. Uh, you know, uh, speaking up is the most important thing any of us could do and, and just say, you know what, I just don't believe that. Maybe you're a Republican and you go, look, I love my party and so on. But this idea of the rigged election, it's just false. I just don't believe it. And the more and the more people that say it, the more difficult it is for those who uh, believe it falsely to continue the belief. You know, it's like the emperor has no no clothes story, you know, that when fi finally somebody speaks out, th therefore free speech, hmm. open conversation, dialogue, get rid of the cancel culture. You know, this is not good. This censor censoriousness on both the left and the right uh, is not helpful because then people are afraid uh, to speak up that they'll lose their jobs or they'll alienate their coworkers or family members. And that's not healthy. We you really need to be open to other people's ideas, even if you think their ideas are completely crazy. Just, you know, being being open to listening to them means they're they're going to be more open to listening to you, which is the core of free speech. Well, and we're almost out of time. I mean, we in fact, we are out of time here. But you also talk about the importance of talking to people whose opinions are different from yours or mine or anyone else's. Get out else's. of the silo. Get out of the bubble. Yeah. Talk to people. Yeah. Read read sites that don't uh, just support what you believe. <laughs> Go to the other site that you don't like and read read their arguments. Well, Michael Shermer, we got to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Connection. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome. And again, uh, publisher of Skeptic Magazine. He's written a number of books about conspiracy theories, about people's belief systems. And his most recent book is titled Conspiracy, Why the Rational Believe the Irrational. And that's it for today's edition of The Connection. Al Banks, the engineer for today's edition of the program. It's produced by Debbie Builder and Paige Murray-Bessler. I'm Marty Moss-Cowain. Thank you so much for joining us.